reaching, uh, they they find him in uh, the cell that's almost basically across from theirs, and Gale is just like, oh my god, please. And they get him out. He is emaciated. This man's is starving. Yeah. Uh, and they've gotten him, and then they're accosted from another cell by Glockpod, a shrike. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who don't know what a shrike is, <laughs> it is known as the butcher bird. It is a songbird that eats small animals. <laughs> And they will literally stab them onto sharp, like, sticks and branches and dismember them. Hence why they are called butcher birds. Yes. Uh, they are wonderful birds. Uh, they live... There are two species that live in North America, but the vast majority of species live in Eurasia and, Africa. <laughs> Eurasia and Africa, sorry. I did actually look this up a little bit because I wanted to figure out where the fuck shrikes live. Okay, and I would also uh, like to emphasize though, they are they are songbirds. They are not Yeah, they're yeah. small. They're not big birds. Uh remember we've seen sparrows before. Sparrows which are they're not songbirds specifically, but they're very similarly sized. Yeah. Um a shrike is a, a not that much bigger than a sparrow. Nope. This bird is big. <laughs> it's, it's it's basically uh, in the same league as hawks and eagles are treated in this series. Yeah. Which is weird, considering, but it's whatever. Uh, the younger two, of course, have no idea what a shrike is. Meldrum explains. They're butcher birds. They're fierce. They're murderous and strong. Um, what does he say specifically? And let's see. So, what's a shrike? Both mice chorus together. The hairs pointed... The th- the hare pointed to the cell with a spear. A maniac killer, that's what a shrike is. Butcher birds, some call him. Not as big as some owls. Bigger than most hawks hereabout, but more dangerous than a lot of them. Stab you to death with that beak and hang you on a thorn bush like some cob of meat. That's why we, why they're known as butcher birds. Very rare, extremely dangerous. I'm sorry, bigger than a hawk? Bigger than a hawk! Hold on, let me Google how big a shrike is. They are is. songbirds. How big is a shrike? Blue jays could also be considered songbirds in some regards. Blue jays are corvids. They are, they are corvids, but they do sing. Um, they have a song specifically reserved for their mates. It's called a whisper song. Okay. Anyway, shrikes are between 16 centimeters and 25 centimeters. That is 6.3 inches and 9.8 inches in size. They are small. That's not very big. They, you can hold them in your hand, basically. So they are nowhere near. Uh, uh, maybe a pygmy hawk, like like <laughs> like an American kestrel or something. But hence, you know, American kestrel. I don't know how many kestrels they, they have. They are over. considered medium-sized birds. I have just found a photo of a woman holding one, and it is they're they're about like hand-sized. Uh, if you Google shrikes, please be aware that if you look at the images, there are images of butchered animals as well because they literally that's what they do they take smaller animals and they stab them on sharp sticks that's what they do um so just be aware if you google shrike and you look at images of shrikes you are going to see dead mice and other dead birds and snakes etc so they're considered medium-sized birds which is interesting still angry about this um and then there is a genus of them, Corvinella, with extremely elongated tail feathers. Uh, that means that they can reach up to 20 inches in length if you count their tail feathers. 
So they are much smaller than most hawk. I've seen a, I've seen a red-tailed hawk up close. This thing is nowhere near the size. It is like half that yeah, size. Pe- bitch. People don't realize how big red tails or hawks are until they're like mm-hmm. looking at like right next to them. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's our bit of research for today. Uh, if you want to, to fact check us, please feel free. Um, because there could be a species of shrike that for whatever fucking reason is, is the same size as a hawk. I don't know. I don't know how big all hawks are. I just know how big red-tailed hawks are. I mean, again, like, there are things like kestrels, but they're, like, they're small. They're tiny. Like, even chicken hawks are bigger than that. Yeah. Which are basically just kestrels, but we're getting into, uh... Yeah, kestrels and, like, pygmy falcons and stuff, but those are, like, they're little. They're, yeah. they're very specifically little. Um... They are bigger than a lot of songbirds, though, so... Yeah. I mean, if this, the sparrows were the same size as the mice, to the point where, like, mice could kind of ride them, then the shrike is, is bigger than them. Uh, based on that. Just because shrikes are much, much bigger than mice. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Gail explains that the bird had been trapped during renovations when they were replacing the bars on a cell. The rats were torturing him for fun. Um, the strike had, the Shrike had been driven, uh, a little mad by his imprisonment, but when given the choice, he promises to kill many rats. Now, I have a little bit, uh, uh, I don't think that he was driven exactly mad. I think that he's just, you know, mad as in angry. I think he's mad at these rats. Because <laughs> he does still have his faculties. This isn't like the ermines that we saw earlier in the book, where they were just... There was nothing there. They were completely removed from their humanity. Like, Glockpod, which is the name of the, the Shrike, um, Glockpod has, like, he, he still has reason. He still has, like, he can be reasoned with. He can be spoken to like a person. Yeah. He just suffers from the way that Brian tends to write more vicious birds who enjoy murder. And aren't birds that he considers, quote-unquote, dignified birds, like a lot of, like, the hawks and stuff that he writes. Yeah. Uh, Like, hawks and owls can be considered dignified birds. We don't get a lot of that, like, weird bird speak that he does. They tend to be fucking Scottish for whatever reason. It's it's that, it's that, I think it's an unconscious bias, personally. Because, like, in a lot of mythology and a lot of writing, it's like, those birds are big enough to have brains. Yeah, you know, so they think, of course, they'll be more intelligent, even though owls are some of the stupidest birds on the planet. They're the stupidest birds on the fucking planet. They are—they're literally just yeah. sonar dishes with like feathers attached and an occasional thought floating through their head. They're so dumb. Uh, th- I, and having met a hawk, like I have met uh, uh, Danielle's hawk, um, Jesse. Uh, that that bird is, that bird is smart. But that bird is also dumb. <laughs> Oh, they're very smart within the range of what they need to be smart about. Yes. But then it's just like, man, if an animal could be a himbo. <laughs> I mean, that, like, to me, that it's not quite fair to call certain animals dumb. Because, like, within the range of what they need to be intelligent about, they will mm-hmm. be intelligent. It's like... Oh, absolutely. It's like saying that, like, a rocket scientist couldn't build, say, a... Um, a rocket scientist couldn't do brain surgery. Right, couldn't do brain surgery. You wouldn't call him stupid because he couldn't do brain surgery, but, you know. Anyway, back to the Owls, thought. Owls, though, are just stupid. Yeah. But 
<laughs> back to the, uh, the they do shrine. speak so the shrike speaks something like you bring this up in your little note mm-hmm. uh, something that is very similar to sparrow speak the way Wait. that he speaks is hang on uh okay let's see do 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 I glockpod afraid of nothing glockpod killer watching me all time bad bird or then wouldn't would that would like meet me anytime mouser stuff like that Glock, glock pod bad bird killer any beast glock pod make joker on the killer rats yeah like it's 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 that thing where uh, I've noticed that Brian tends to do it with smaller birds mm-hmm. also is that they get that kind of like you were you were saying bigger birds they quote unquote have brains um the smaller birds tend to be like they get that like speech impediment almost right they they they, they chirp annoying. they chirp faster so they talk faster which is annoying cuz if you ever hear a hawk so hawks don't just scream hawks make adorable little cheeping noises so do eagles by the way <laughs> just look up a hawk or an eagle like just chirping it is so it is almost the exact same mhm like it all I'm not going to say all birds is the same because it's not 100% true, but they are, they are birds and all birds is the same, much like all dogs is the same. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Glockpod promises to kill many rats. He is with them because, because, uh, Meldrum is like, you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, we're leaving you here. And Glockpot is like, no, I'm with you. I will kill so many rats. I want to kill so many rats. You guys, you guys are cool. You're letting me out. I want to kill so many fucking rats. He is ready to go. <laughs> he is, he is ready to go. Um, they let him out, obviously. Like he says that Meldrum just immediately lets him out. Meldrum believes him immediately, which says a lot about like, uh, Meldrum, uh, uh, planning I think like his mind moves fast um, Gale of course is terrified of this bird he is like huddled on the other end of the, the like the, the far wall of the hallway that they're in he's like huddled against it like no because he's had to sit next to this bird for god knows how long <laughs> poor thing uh, before, though, they can do any more planning, the half-flattened rat guard makes a break from under the door, hollering about the escape. Uh, and unfortunately, they, he's too far away for them to do anything about it. Like, he's too far away for, for Glockpod to even try to catch him. Too far away. Like, Meldrum throws the spear and it just clatters against the wall. Like, they, there's nothing they can do. So, he does make an with attempt, the sound at of least. More rats... Yeah, he does attempt. Uh, with the sound of more rats charging towards them, they make their way upwards. Because that's the only way they can go only to trap themselves in the top of a narrow tower. I mean, at least they're not starving to death. <laughs> Pretty much. Hey, who remembers where we left the Pearl Queen? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're listening to this and you didn't experience the long hiatus we did, then y- you remember what happened to the Pearl Queen. But for our other listeners who maybe forgot... They sort of went through a whirlpool. <laughs> yeah, whirlpool and right into some rocks and now a thunderstorm. Yeah, and then they ran into a rock. Well, so the, the thunderstorm has, the thunderstorm is now. They ran into a rock and that's where we left them last time. We were like, God fucking damn it. 
So we return to the Pearl Queen with her listing low in the water. They cannot bail her out fast enough, and there's a thunderstorm brewing overhead. And Their only chance of survival is to get out of the strong current that they're in and find land. So, with night falling, Finbar orders the whole crew to give up on bailing water. They're to lie themselves fast, they're to tie themselves fast to whatever they ca- uh, that will keep them on board through this squall as they're getting out of the uh, the the current so they can try and find land, so they can try and fix this fucking boat. Four moles green to the gills with seasickness, muttering that he'd rather be allowed to drown. He's the first green mole to go out to sea. Uh, Roof weeps, and Dre promises him that he won't leave his friend, even if they both drown. Uh, Joseph spots land thanks to a flash of lightning. With hope renewed, Finbar gets to barking more orders to try and get the sinking ship ashore. Roof rescues a a shoot. Roof does, like, Roof has been, like, very nervous and, like, not particularly the most heroic throughout this book. Because he's very young, Mm -hmm. right? He's a sheltered kid. he shows a... He's a kid. He shows a great moment of bravery when he rescues a shrew named Fatch from drowning. Like, uh, Fatch got his paw caught in one of the lines and was basically hanging off the other end of the ship, getting his head dunked underwater multiple times. Which is terrifying. And everybody else was too busy to notice, and Roof rescues him. Like, he, Roof was up on the mast, jumps off of the mast, and, like, locks himself to the railing. And just grabs Fatch by the ears and pulls him out of the water, cutting him free of the rope before throwing them both back into, like, the uh, the people tied to the other side of the ship. Mm-hmm. As Finbar is praising him for this rescue, though, a bolt of lightning strikes the ship, setting everybody's fur like blue light encases the ship everyone's fur goes on end and it shatters the main mast Dury and rosie had been up on the mast which leads joseph having to restrain roof from diving into the sea to look for them he's forced to knock the young squirrel out like it's a very evocative scene. yeah like it's very emotional it's very intense um hang on you make a note about how there's like yeah. the the kind of classic masculine loyal like loyalty friendship between Dury and Roof, which I agree with. Like you were trying to call me out, like oh these boys be gay, and it's like no no no, platonic male friendships are super important. Mm-hmm. Now Roof and f- Roof Roof and Fatch. <laughs> I'm being I'm being goofy now. Hold up. Here we go. Uh, Suddenly, a single clap of thunder rang out directly above the Pearl Queen, followed by an immense lightning bolt that struck the ship. An eerie blue light enveloped every creature aboard as their fur stood out straight from their bodies. There was a rending crack. The foremast snapped like a twig and was hurled off into the darkness. Dari! Rosie! They've gone! Roofbrush screamed. They were up with the mast! Joseph had to grab Roof. The young squirrel was about to dive over the side and swim to find his friends. The bellmaker held the kicking, struggling squirrel fast. Roof! Roof! Have you gone mad? You'd be drowned in a trice out there. We can't even see where the mast went. But there was no reasoning with the squirrel. He fought Joseph wildly, striking him with all paws. Let me go! I've got to save Dury! He's all I've got! Joseph flinched as Roof's paws battered his face. He held on grimly until there was nothing else for it. Whack! 
The sturdy bellmaker laid Roof senseless with a single blow to the squirrel's jaw. Then he ha he laid him down safe. Poor Roof, I wish you hadn't made me do that. This is loyalty, bro. <laughs> this is yeah, it is definition of ride or die. It's super fucking good. After hours of backbreaking work, they finally make it ashore. They discover this when Logalog goes overboard, <laughs> only to find himself hip deep in water. All head for land with Formal positively zooming ashore to kiss the wet sands. Uh, this is something that has happened now multiple times with multiple moles, and it is, honestly, it's always kind of a little funny. Mm -hmm. Except for, we've mentioned this before, moles can swim. They can, but these moles are like... In their in the in defense of these moles, like most of them are moles who live in They're not star nosed yeah. moles. They live in land their whole lives. They spend most of the time under underground or in the dirt. So like, yes, in theory they could swim, but this is like like, okay, if we want to get nitpicky, humans can swim. But does everyone <laughs> know how to swim? No. No. This is true. So Alright. <laughs> the crew spends the rest of the uh of the the stormy night hiding behind a rocky outcropping the storm does them an unintended favor by driving the pearl queen further onto shore for them uh basically uh the storm ends they wake up and the pearl queen is just at a very jaunty angle high up on the mm -hmm. sands um it is a grateful but muted breakfast the next morning finbar wants to look over his ship but before anything else, Joseph says they need to remember Dury and Rosie, the friends they had lost. They build a stone cairn with a wooden slab to serve for their epitaph. Joseph says a word over the cairn. And of course, this solemn and heart-wrenching moment cannot end peacefully. Finbar spots a horde of beasts pouring over the cliffs in a warlike manner. All right, so two things Izzy skipped over. There's no bodies. Those two aren't dead. There's no, we yeah, know they're not they are dead. coming Those back. Those two are not dead. They are not dead. They are coming back. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. Unless there is a body, they are dead. Or unless it's a Disney yep. villain getting a Disney villain death, like Brian does like to do sometimes where they die off screen. Um, but, you know, there's the difference between the Disney villain and the main character. If a main character falls off a cliff, they'll come back in the third act. If a villain falls off a cliff, they're dead in the third act. I was going to say, does it count as a Disney villain death? But then I remembered that Disney has been making movies the entire time that Brian's been, Brian was alive. So. <laughs> well, I only use it because, like, it's a term that existed even before TV tropes. Um, because everyone knows when you say Disney villain death, you mean they die off screen. Like, uh, you know, mostly falling over the edge of things. Gaston falls down into a ravine. Mufasa, or not Mufasa. I mean, actually, Mufasa and Scar both fall down. I guess that's meant... Well, but then Scar gets ripped apart by hangers. Yeah, but we only see the shadow of that. Um, it's strange that Disney shows a gruesome death of a villain only via shadow. But, you know, <laughs> and I have two, two nickels. Um, I completely butchered that, but you know what I mean. Um... But basically, if I had a nickel for every time Disney showed a gruesome death via shadow puppetry, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird it's happened yeah. twice. <laughs> Honestly, like, I think the Disney villain death that fucked me up the most was actually in Treasure Planet. That one, like, God. the one, like, uh, spider alien who just gets yeeted into space into a black hole. No, he doesn't even go into a black hole. He just gets shoved into space. Truly terrifying. Yeah. Treasure Planet fucking rips. God, I love that movie. I'm so mad Disney 
fucked it over. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's because of the unions. Because Disney hates unions. <sighs> so, don't get kids started on Disney history. <laughs> but so, and then now, uh, I skipped over this because I wanted to give it the space ah. because, yeah. Okay, and now the epitaph. Um, friend is a very small word, a little sound we make, for one who is true. One who will do great deeds for friendship's sake. So while I grieve for you, my friend, who gave all that you could give, you'll be my friend in memory for all the days I live. Brian did a good job with this one. Yeah, that got me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that one got me too. That's a strong, strong little poem right there. Because, you know, not everyone can relate to romance. Everyone can relate to friendship. Mm-hmm. and grief mm-hmm. and then the last note yeah and then just god damn it I knew Brian was going to do this he can't resist the savage tribe trope he can't do it biting you Brian biting Brian biting 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 ah! we don't know yet if that's what he's doing I read ahead because I had to confirm st- oh okay it's a well, well then. spoilers everyone we're gonna get frogs again God damn it. Mm-hmm. Or toads. I can't remember. <sighs> it is some kind of amphibian. Amphibians. And I am I am angry Any- about it. And I am done with Brian's. I'm done with Brian's shit. Brian, be normal about frogs challenge. What the Brian, fuck? don't be a racist British person from the era that you came from. <laughs> it, it makes me think of, honest to God, whenever Brian does this, it makes me think of um, Indiana Jones. Because Indiana Jones was meant to be a, a love letter to the schlocky old adventure movies that, you know, the director grew up watching. The problem with that was he didn't think very hard about the really bad racial stereotypes that were part of those schlocky old adventure movies. Which is why I hate two of the four Indiana Jones movies. Because they are incredibly racist and obnoxious. We return to the terrified Dibbins. Uh, Slip attempts to threaten them, but Blaggett wants absolutely none of it. Uh, Blaggett is very much like, these are just babies. Yeah, he's just like, they're kids. Like, give them a chance. Be nice. Be niceies. Be niceies them. He protects the Dibbons, and when Slip turns on him to beat him, the little mouse attempts to defend Blaggett with a sharp stab of their stick sword right in Slip's uh, liver and kidneys. Yeah, like, it's... It's this whole, like, this whole chapter is basically one big Looney Tunes shtick. Yeah, honestly. And part of me, part of me doesn't mind it because, like, this is Brian playing with tone. Because, again, like, I try to remind myself that a lot of these books are meant to be read to kids. Like, he makes these intentionally to be read out to children. So, of course, like, we've just had, like, this really deep, dark, sad moment. So the next chapter being slapstick is meant to help kids, like, oh, okay, you know, this is something we can recover from or come back from. Yeah. Um, but here we go. The mouse babe had regained his confidence and was jabbing his sword stick and slips back. You leave him alone, big bully, he squeaked. Oh, me liver and kidneys. Slip sat down, nursing his back. Blaggett was all concerned. Aye, aye, little feller, that was a naughty thing to do. You've gone and ordered the poor captain's livers and kidney. Here, let me help you up, captain. Are you ship shape? Just... Blaggett is so good in this entire chapter, and I'm mad because I know Brian is not going to give him the ending he deserves. No, not at all. <laughs> We've, 
this is less us just being pessimistic and this is us knowing how Brian writes at this point, which is when it comes to simpleton vermin like this, usually they die. What's probably going to happen is Slip is going to backstab Blaggett or something similar. Mm. And even, even not just simpleton, but any vermin who actually shows like a tiny sliver of they might actually be a good person if they're given a real chance... Brian's like, well, gotta nip that in the bud and kills them. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, here's the thing. I was like, I know I'm jumping ahead of my notes a little bit, but Brian basically says says it out loud right here. He says the quiet part loud. He says the quiet part out loud, where Blackett goes, like, if I'd been raised as good as these two had been, if I'd been given a childhood like these two, maybe I would have come out an honest creature. But we never get that. We never get to see that because Brian will never, ever give us like a vermin society that is not vicious, mean, and cruel because he speaks of, you can't judge a book by its cover, but he preaches, like he actually displays, you very much have to judge by the cover. Yep. Which is not great. Like, okay, so I do want to, because we've had a couple people be like, hey, your your podcast is looking too deep into some of these things when it comes to, like, the racism and stuff. And I'm just like, even on the surface, even on the surface of some of the stuff, these kinds of tropes, even if they are what was standard for the time, Brian was writing these books after the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows what racism is. Or he knew. He's dead. So, past tense. And, in, and like, just, sorry to interrupt again, but in this case, I'm not even talking about racism in this case. I am specifically talking about the the trope of the nature over nurture. Like, yeah. he says that a rat could be a good person, but in the end, any rat character will choose to be selfish. Or, like, a fox could be a good guy, but every fox will choose to backstab Kid, like this he, is he's still getting... racism. You're still. This is still yeah. racism. Yes, I know, but like I'm, I'm saying like I'm not saying this as in like direct world. I've, how do I? I'm trying to trying to word this. Basically, it is racism, but this could also come down to classism, Izzy. Yes, this is also it could classism. also come down to classism. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's not the... just racism. There was it, this it's big... the contradictory message. You remember when we were kids, when we got taught, like, if you see, like, somebody who, who looks or acts, like, a bit weird or specifically, like, you should avoid them, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's, it's also that, because this is, these are books for kids, so there's a little bit of that as well, which is parroting, like, concerned parent rhetoric about, like, strangers. Right. Except- Stranger the, danger. Yeah. Yeah, except the thing is, and this has been proven, this is, this is a thing that has been proven, a- uh, caveat if uh you think i'm wrong please please do your own research um this this is a thing that has been proven that the people who can cause the most problems for children are the people closest to them right abuse mm-hmm. uh abuse of like literally any kind um kidnapping violence anything like that like that those are going to be the people who are closest to somebody it's not going to be the fucking weird homeless man in the park. The weird homeless man just wants to mind his own goddamn business. Yeah. Maybe he wants to show your kid where the ducks hang out. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, now with that tangent, um... <laughs> be nice over. to people, basically. Yeah, like, don't... Again, like, 
give people a chance. Yeah. Like, just don't judge the books by the cover. I know a lot of fucking weird people who, like, your your average suburban mom would look at and be like, honey, walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are, like, the nicest people on the planet. Who would give me the shirt off of their back. Like, do not judge books by their cover. Never judge a book by their cover. It doesn't work out. Mm-mm. So what follows is, as Kit said, a bit of a slapstick moment between the Dibbons getting attached to the kind and dim Blaggett and the language barrier between a Redwall Dibbon and a cranky old sea rat. A whole lot of nothing happens very fast, except that uh, Slip does just get angrier and angrier the whole time. Yeah, because like he's being disrespected and they're Dibbons. (sighs) That's what they do. Yeah. Um, Here we go. Slip stamped his foot down and glared at the mouse babe. Do you have no vittles at all? The mouse babe thought about this for a moment, then replied, What's fickles? Blaggett sat down next to the dip and chuckling. Hoo-hoo, bless your little art, matey. Fiddles is food. Hoo food, Fertel nodded understandingly. Like pudding and pie and cakes and soup? Yes, yes, that stuff, Slap said, or Slip said, nodding eagerly. Pudding and pie, cake and soup, where is it? Have you got any? The mousewave thought quite deeply about the question, then stated matter-of-factly, No! <laughs> Just the, no! <laughs> yeah, so like the funny. fact that he had to actually think about it. It's so funny. But so they finally figure out that the pair want food, and Fertile heads off to find some. Uh, the rats get a, a casual bit of racism thrown at them by the mouse babe as Fertile is off, though. <sighs> This is definitely a case of the child is parenting something the parent said. Mm-hmm. Parroting, not parenting. Parroting something the parent said. Uh, a thing that we are all so used to, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. Because kids soak up literally everything around them like a goddamn sponge. They don't mean any malice through it. It's just what they hear. And obviously, to a child, their parent knows everything and has all the correct opinions because they're their parents. Mm-hmm. So they keep saying the thing, and that's where we get this little casual bit of racism. <sighs> and then, then you get older, and you're just like, "Oh God, why? Did, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh God!" Fertile returns with some fruit, and the two pirates learn about Redwall, and the little pair promise to take them back to the Abbey tomorrow if they can find the way back, because it is it is like nighttime or something. Yeah. It's dark enough and they know better than to go tromping around at nighttime. Yep. When the pair fall asleep, Slip reminds Blaggett what he really is. He is no kind captain and he will kill tomorrow if there's treasure to be had in the Abbey. Uh, basically, like, Slip is like, have you gone soft? And Blaggett's like, no. I just, you know, what if somebody had treated me nice when I was young? The, the thing that Kit was talking about before. Like, maybe I would have turned out all kind and respectable. And Slip is like, you are going soft. No. We're gonna do some killing tomorrow if we have to, and you know that. Stop it. Yeah. He's basically, like, he's trying to make Blaggett into, like, oh, you're mean, you're a sea rat, you gotta be evil, and Blaggett's like, but but I don't want to be. I just want to find the bunnies. Yeah. Like, (sighs) I'm gonna keep doing this. You're the one who brought mice and men. Banned. Banned for bunnies. (laughs) Banned. Uh, Blaggett hopes that the little pair are so turned around that they won't find their way home tomorrow. <sighs> We're never ever going to get respectable rat culture. Well, I mean, like, I do know that we do get, like, one or two who are, like, 
okay, but again, they die and yep. or are already dead by the time the story starts. Yep. Like, we hear about them. Like, I, I distinctly remember one of the books where they're just like, oh, yeah, this one cranky old semi-dementia-riddled mouse had a friend who was a, an old sea rat who, and they, they lived up in the attic together and he was just weird and one day he wandered off by himself. Oh, Pearls of Lutra, that's it. Mm. And, like, this the sea rat is friends with one of the old old mice and one day after she dies or something or one day when he's ready to die, he just wanders off into the woods. Yeah. But the only reason they accepted him was because he was so brain-addled he wasn't a threat. God. Terrible. We abruptly return to the group in the castle who are still besieged in the tower. They think they've been run aground, but Glockpod notes that there's a little higher up to go. A nice nest up there is a small attic they can get into. Because just underneath the tiles, so there's like a little like wooden platform basically just underneath the tiles. Yeah. uh, So that you can get up there and replace them. Uh, Not just replace them, but, like, in some castles, like, this could be used as a storage space. Like, if you've got stuff that you don't really want, like, down in the damp cellars, if it's something that can handle the temperature changes or being in a dry environment, you'd use it as storage. Yeah. Or birds. (laughs) Or birds. After a brief round of insults between Meldrum and Glockpod, they manage to get into said simple attic with the Shrike's help. Uh... Glockpod deserves better. He does. Meldrum is so mean to him. But uh, granted, Meldrum Meldrum takes it as good as he gives it. Like they they are bickering back and forth and it's it's kind of funny. Yeah, and and you know what? Meldrum does do this to like other creatures too. He yeah. doesn't just save it. He's not for... picking on Glockpod. It's yeah. just Glockpod's the one who who is sniping back at him. <laughs> so <laughs> not to mention they are in a very stressful moment right now yes. in Neither has time for the other shenanigans. Yes. Uh, Glockpod stays below and is quick to pounce on the first rats through the battered down door because they brought a battering ram and battered the door down. Uh, He does suffer an injured wing, though. Uh, Brian also says that he has talents. (laughs) He's a songbird. There's no talents there. Here's the thing about shrikes. They don't. You know what? Okay, I know I'm the one who made the complaint, but maybe this is just Brian being lyrical. For you know, I mean, like, they've got can, they've very got sharp. They've yeah. got very sharp little claws for a songbird. Like if if you've ever held a songbird, because like I have held several songbirds. Like even if their claws aren't meant for hunting, they, they their little claws are still sharp. They can still scratch you up pretty good. Yeah, although looking at, at pictures of shrikes, they do have very long claws for a songbird. mm Hmm. So, like, it's not talons, but they sure do got sharp little feeties. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Silvermord stops further rat slaughter by bringing up some archers. It takes another sharp insult from Meldrum, though, to get Glockpod to listen to them and leap out of the way of the arrows, only just in time. Basically, Meldrum has figured out that if he insults Glockpod, Glockpod will get up in his face about it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which he, is a... he uses his arrogance against like they they're both very strong willed and uh, he figures out how to use that first. It's very good. Uh, a rat is sent in to negotiate, and Meldrum lays them out with a roof tile from the tower. Basically, just drops it right on his head. Uh, the group in the attic discuss their options, and King Gale has the wisest suggestion: send Glockpod to the otters to get help because Glockpod can't carry any of them. One, he's got an injured wing, and two, he's not big enough for that. Mm-hmm. But he can still fly. So he can go to the otters and they can try and help. Because either they're dying here or they're 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 getting out. So, you they're, know, yeah. might as well try. 
Uh, Silver- no, no real way around it. Nope. Silvermore tires, uh, very quickly tires of the stalemate and returns to the feasting hall where her, sh- sh- her room is basically off the feasting hall. Uh, and we meet her handmaiden, a female rat named Sickent, who is the wife of Greywart. With Nagru's captain slain by Glockpod, they'll need a new horde leader. Uh, Silvermore promises to see Greywart promoted as long as Sickent and her mates swear loyalty only to her. Because why would a husband and wife ever fucking love each other, ever, in these books? Because they are vermin and they only serve each, they only serve themselves. Yep. She also had a rat keeping an eye out. This is, what was it, Blue Tail or something like that? It's, it's Blue, blah, 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 blue, blue moon. Um, it's not that. <laughs> That's too poetic a name for a rat, unfortunately. It's, it's Blue Bane, which makes blue me Bane. wonder, why, why would you be the Bane of Blue? Uh. It's, it's, so, it is a surprisingly lyrical name for a rat, is. but I don't object to it. No. Um, so Bluebane comes and tells her that uh, he had seen Glockpod fly away. So Silvermord knows a rescue is coming for those in the tower. Uh, she sends us uh, uh, Bluebane away with like a beaker of wine, uh, basically yeah. paying him for his service. Uh, this is important. <laughs> Good old fashioned bribery. Yeah. Uh, so once help arrives, she wants Greywart to report only to her. Sickent swears it and a Silvermord. Like, she kneels and kisses her hand, like, yep, yep, I'm on your side, we're yours. She basically, she she's like, tell your husband uh, to set up a watch around the castle and then set aside a uh, a, a squad of, of horde beasts for when the time comes. I want them watching, and I want this squad ready to go, ready to go at any moment. And, and, and Sickent is like, it will be done, I got you. Uh, because the thing is also, like, Sickent is very, very loyal to Silvermord. Silvermord is sharing her food and her wine with Sickent. Mm-hmm. Silvermord, despite being just as vicious as Nagru, knows how to get the vermin to properly listen. She she, is, she, has... she knows that that rewarding them does get loyalty. Yeah. Nagru goes for for intimidation. She goes for bribery. She plays up their greed, whereas he plays up their fear. Now, if they were an actual power couple who did love each other, they would do so good. They would. This would be so much more difficult. Not to mention, like how fun it. Like I always have fun when I get to read fantasy stories where, like, you do get that power villain couple, or even if it's not a couple, it's like the villain and their right hand man or woman. Mm-hmm. Where they will use, like, they'll play the minions against each other just to have fun watching them in fight. You know, like, they know they're causing problems, but they have fun watching, you know, the infighting that their choices, yeah. uh, you know, makes. Yeah. We don't you know, get it's that, It's a though. good way. We're yeah. not getting it, that. Because also, like, if you're the villain and you trust your right-hand man, making the ones who are just, just low enough fight amongst themselves keeps them from plotting to overthrow you. Yes. So, Glockpod succeeds in finding the molehill and delivers his message. The otters plan for a nighttime rescue. Uh, Glockpod is a little less than helpful with his information, and he has a small verbal sparring match with Bully Pintips and the four leverets. He also grocks immediately that these leverets are related to Meldrum. Mm -hmm. He's (laughs) He's like, like, is that your dad? And they're like, that's not our painter. Like, how how dare you? How dare you? 
That's our uncle. But he grocks immediately that they're related. He's like, hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm these gonna... are related to that bastard. <laughs> okay, I'm going to edit this little tiny snippet out here. I got on Twitter the other day on my desktop because I will not. It's not on my phone anymore. Yeah. And I saw that grok thing. I'm like, I'm not clicking that. There is oh, no the way I'm clicking that. AI that, that yeah. is like making everybody mad because it's like trans women are women. Uh-huh, because it's roasting all these idiots on Twitter. Yes. Because Elon trained it wrong. Wrong, yep, and it's, it's Yeah, it's very delightful. It's um, very funny. Yeah, I, but yeah, I like, haven't now that, touched Twitter. But I, I'm so mad that, like, he dared use the word grok because now people are going to think it's from Twitter. It's like, no! I mean, sure, it's source material isn't much better, but no! <laughs> <laughs> All right. The group of youngsters want to help with the fight, but the queen, uh, the queen holds them back, saying they need to stay and protect her and the others. Uh, that's the only reason that they're not going to sneak off, is they've been given the duty of protecting the squirrel queen and her son. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. It, it's the classic, but you need to be brave and protect the house trick. Yeah. Which, like, is good. Nobody can get into the molehill, so, like, it's fine. Yeah. They're fine. They're actually safe. Yeah. So even forewarned, we are back at the castle. The patrolling rats around the castle are taken out swiftly and silently. Like we get some, uh, some, some fun, fun scenes of a massive paw taking and snapping the neck of one of them. Mm-hmm. Smaller paws, like taking them out with sling stones. The weapons being broken. Um, Greywart reports the loss of his rats to an impatient Silvermord. He's frightened, having heard a large beast growling. Silvermore leaps badger? into badger? <laughs> badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom, mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the the, the giant paws are just like wait badger? a minute, are they bad? Badger, 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 badger. <laughs> Both of treat? us very excited. No treat, treat, no treat, treat, no treat. treat. No treat. No treat. Damn it! <laughs> badger, no badger, badger, no badger. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we both know that stupid meme. It's one of my favorites, it's okay? It's so funny. <laughs> he knows how to spell snack. Snack? <laughs> no snack. Oh. <laughs> hey, he. I think it's time he takes an NAP. Hey, or, hey, what does NAP spell? Party. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Taxes all. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, Silverward leaps to action, arming herself and calling for the rat crew to come help her. Like, basically saying, get that crew ready, we're going. Uh, Those besieged in the tower have moved uh, from the little attic up onto the roof beams themselves, because the wood is being absolutely decimated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they see through the tiles they've knocked out of the ceiling that a storm is rolling in, and they worry over if Glockpot has gotten their message to the otters or not. Uh, Nagru, of course, learns of Silvermord's scheming thanks to Bluebane, who is two-timing, uh, mm-hmm. who told Silvermord of Glockpod flying off. He calls for Greywart. And when Bluebane, the two-timer rat, asks for a reward, Nagru tells him in a dangerous voice that his life is reward enough. Because two-timing traitors to the king and queen usually are killed. Because mm-hmm. he is betraying the queen. Yeah. So he's, he's already shown that he is quite happy to be a turncoat twice already mm-hmm. which you know it's like hey you've literally already betrayed me once 
you are turning around and betraying the one who tried to betray me. So why on God's green earth, uh, whatever God exists in this universe, would I trust you? you? Why would I reward you? Because he even says, oh, she gave me a beaker of elderberry wine. And Nagru is like, you're not getting that. Yeah. It's like, and did did you drink that wine already? Come on, guy. Probably. My dude. Probably. My dude. Come on. Come on, dude. My dude. Little, little control there. I mean, it's just a little beaker. That's not a lot of wine. That's true. But even then. (laughs) All right. So that is the end of this part of the book. It was very short, thank God. There is still it's, so much. We are not even halfway through this goddamn book. Oh my God. This is like mo- the one reason this section went so damn fast is because one, the middle section is actually really short in this book. Yeah. Like most of the books are fairly evenly spaced out. The middle section in this book is tiny. Like the last section, book three, is a chunk. That and this middle section, like most middle sections of books, is just plot you know, plot set It's up. furthering the plot, setting up yeah. the, the final act. Yeah. So we're, we're approaching the crest in the hill. Yep. So we are, we're heading towards that crest and I like things are probably going to pop off in this next bit. Oh, absolutely. Until then. So until then, our get questions. A breather. Yeah. Our questions for the end of the book. What was your favorite weird food in this book? Just you and me both staring at that oat. <laughs> the oat and thing. like penny whatever the fuck yeah i want to yeah. know what that is uh i think though if i had to eat anything it would be the carrot and onion flan i kind of want to try it like a savory yeah. flan sounds really good because like when uh, you say flan i think of like isn't that like the pudding yeah it's a pudding yeah hold so... on i'm gonna look up what a british flan is thank you because like we know the british make very liberal use of what a pudding is oh it's a quiche it's basically a quiche. Like, uh, so a flan in British cuisine is an egg-based dish with an open-rimmed pastry or sponge base containing a sweet or savory filling. It's a type of pie. <sighs> it's a quiche. Okay, and you know what? I can't get too mad at Britain because flans are egg-based. It's just the difference between sweet or savory. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to fist fight Britain someday. Yeah, not to be confused with a uh, creme caramel, also known as flan or flan de leche. Uh... Examples are bacon and egg flan and a custard tart. So it's a tart. The, this okay. version of a flan is from Roman cuisine. It was often a savory dish as in eel flan. Sweet flans were also enjoyed. Oh. Neat. They're very popular in Europe, especially during Lent when meat is forbidden. Interesting. That's cool. Okay. We learned a thing. We learned a thing. Yeah, it's basically a quiche. Yeah, see also, flan cake, flau, uh, list of pies, tarts, and flans, quiche. Quiche. <laughs> it's just basically a quiche. Uh, that's that's neat. Yeah, I want to try that. I think it would be tasty. I've never had a savory, like, I've had quiche before, but this, the texture of this seems much more smooth. Was there an animal that appeared <laughs> that surprised you slash did an animal subvert expectations? The Shrike. I mean, yeah, the Shrike. <laughs> I wasn't expecting a bird. I was not expecting a bird in this part of the book. Not another bird anyway, because we had the blackbird in the first bit. Yeah. I thought that was the bird that was going to help them. But I guess the blackbird just, yeah, I guess the blackbird just fucked off. Yeah. Like, forget this. I'm out. I'm out of here. Time to migrate. Bye. I mean, mood. I would have too. It's like, I'm not involved in this. Peace out. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Uh, also, whatever oh, the fuck that big thing is, I hope it's a badger. 
I know, right? It's like, I mean, we do have precedence. We did not see the bodies. We didn't see the bodies. Muda's could, Muda's probably still out there. <laughs> what is your favorite part so far? Uh, I mean, probably that eulogy, even though it, it, it's, it's a little bitter because like, it's a good eulogy, but I know that it's one of those like really, it's like, it's like that bit in a movie where like a character's eulogizing over a dead body and the character sits up like, what are you writing me off so soon? It's just like, you can't, you can't. Quit telling everyone that. I'm dead. Yeah. It's like, you still can't hear his voice. You can't do that. Okay. It's like, you can't yank our feelings around like that. That's not fair. <laughs> How, how dare stories do what they're supposed my, to do and make us feel things? My dear Edgar passed away this year. Quit telling everyone I'm dead. Sometimes I can still hear his voice. Brother Bear, another underappreciated movie. No kid, man. This was banger soundtrack. Kid. Banger. Mm. All right. I mean, e- editing out some of the Phil Collin bits anyway. <clears throat> I'm going to get and in then, trouble for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> and then we still have not reached the deep coiler, but I'm sure we'll reach it next because the... Oh, boy. The frogs. Frogs. Uh, so, yeah. Ribbit, ribbit. Ribbit. Ribbit, ribbit. Ribbit. Anyway. So, thank you for listening to Abbey Archives. We are grateful that you lent us your ears, and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. This has been Izzy. You can find me on Tumblr at Lots of Deer. Uh, you can find my other podcasts at Hope's Hearth Pod, a uh, uh, Solar Hope Punk actual play podcast set in a massive space setting. Uh, I have too many podcasts. <laughs> uh, you can find SCP Research Archives at SCP Research Archives on Tumblr as well. Uh, I cameo it's finally in that on one. iTunes, and guess what? It started updating again. Yay! You might hear a familiar voice in the next couple of months. Um, you might just. You might just. Uh, it releases on Thursdays. Uh, uh, Hope's Hearth is currently on hiatus for the next year because we're all tired and a little burnt <laughs> out on it. Uh, we will be coming back for a uh, season four, but it's not going to be until the end of 2024, beginning of 2025. So you, if you wanted to catch up on three seasons of actual play podcast that's exceptionally queer, uh, now's the time. <laughs> uh, what else do I do? <laughs> Christ on a cracker. Um, keep an eye out for a podcast that uh, will hopefully be coming out uh, sometime next year as well that I'm going to be doing with uh, our friend the Pack Bats, which is a Tokipona podcast uh, called Two to Toki. Um, where Pack Bats is going to teach me Tokipona. Uh, I know a little bit of Tokipona, but it'll be. (laughs) (laughs) The more you Um, keep saying Pack Bat, the more my brain keeps going back, pack, back, back. (laughs) I'm sorry. And then, uh, hopefully when the next year, as the next year rolls through and I start being able to focus more on creative endeavors, uh, Colchis will actually happen and Cauterized, a thing that I am part of, is also currently in production. So please keep eyes out for that. Cauterized's uh, trailer is currently out. Uh, so you should definitely go give that a listen uh, and hear Cat uh, be phenomenal. Um, I would say I have commissions open, but I don't actually right now because I'm overwhelmed. You got to finish the ones that you're doing. Just the ones I'm doing. 
which oh I haven't God. started yet. I have so much I have to do. Oh it God. has been quiet all day. And of course, now that we're almost done recording, everyone is freaking commenting on Discord. <laughs> ping, 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 ping. I'm getting pinged and I'm getting annoyed. Anyway, okay, go. Your turn. Okay, my turn. All right. Um, this has been Kit. I am Kitsy in a box on most social medias. I don't really use Twitter anymore, but I am on Tumblr. I do technically have a blue sky. I don't use much of it. If um, you can give us a convincing argument to make a blue sky and a... <sighs> oh, what? What's the other one? Mastodon? No, not Mastodon. The, 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 the... Inkblot? No. Hello it's another, like, t- cohort. Co-host. Oh, Thank co-host. You. Okay. Co-host. If you can give us a convincing... Ar- Ooh, I bumped my mic. If you, you can always give us bump con- your mic. I know. It's because I gesticulate, okay? God, I'm Italian. Leave me alone. <laughs> anyway, if you can give us a convincing argument to make podcast accounts for those places, uh, we'll hear them out. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, that's not, I didn't have that much more to say anyway. I design and create these little critters called Kitsunday. They're little dessert-themed foxes. You can commission a custom one for yourself of your favorite desserts. Um, I'm almost always open. If I'm not, I usually let people know via my Discord server or just going, ah, whenever people talk to me. Um, <laughs> Screaming. I, I am not organized when what it comes to some things. It's like, I, I, I don't want this to be a business. I just enjoy drawing cute little foxes. So when people come to me, I tell them, yes, I can draw that fox or no, I don't feel like drawing that fox. I'm the artist. I have the power to say yes or no. You have um, the power. <laughs> so, I have no other podcast, but I am cameoing in a podcast soonish. So, yeah. <laughs> like I said, you might hear a familiar voice on the SCP podcast in the next couple of months. Yeah, uh, a very tired, done with business voice. <laughs> uh, you can find us both at Abby Archives on Tumblr and technically Reddit, uh, even though I don't really use it. Uh, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us, etc. All that good stuff. We don't do marketing. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we rely on you guys. Although people keep finding us without <laughs> any... We don't know how. So did, did something's going right. <laughs> this is source, the person who found us to tell us we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm not making fun of you for that, Tebby. I think it is phenomenal that you did that. Truly. Um, it takes may- guts. It takes guts. It takes guts and courage to to join a Discord server where ostensibly you would think everybody in that Discord server is, you know, on the same page as the people running the podcast to be and come in and be like, "Hey, that thing you said was wrong." Yeah, like the fucking g- props, kudos, man. Uh, so may your hearth be warm and your heart be merry from us to you at Redwall Abbey. Bye. Bye. All right, let's clap. Okay. 45? 45. I can't drive 55. Cool. All right. Let's stop recording.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Tumblr and Reddit at Abbey Archives. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can find us on Coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash HS Enclave. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave. And some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and post-apocalyptic news radio, a Fallout-inspired audio drama.